Well, am I on? Yeah, I'm on. Okay, good. Good morning, everybody. Morning. It is uh, it's good to be home. If you don't know me, my name is Josh Stanley. I get the pleasure of serving as a pastoral intern here at Bethel. And it's been a while since I've been able to be here in Strathroy with everybody, even downstairs. I was at Southwest for a couple weeks, away for a week, and it's, it's been about a month since I've been home, but it's, it's good to be home. So in the summer of 2019, my family's lives changed forever. Before that, we had, you know, we'd grown up in a ministry family with my dad. He was a pastor in London. We had moved to Petrolia, which is, if you don't know where that is, that's totally okay. 90% of people don't know where that is. It's about 40 minutes that way, I think. And we were in a little town called Petrolia there, pastoring in a church in Wyoming, and it kind of, life had just come to the motions. We would get up, we'd go to school, we'd go to church on Sundays, we would continue as a family. I mean, it's not all that smooth, but, you know, we had kind of gone through the motions. And then in the summer of 2019, my dad let us know that he had received a diagnosis of esophageal cancer. And when you're 19, that word, cancer, can seem like a death sentence. It can seem immediately like the person is telling you that they're going to die. And so our lives flipped upside down immediately. And all of a sudden, it was the Stanley family versus dad's cancer. And that does not seem like a winnable fight. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you're up against something that just feels unstoppable and you, there's nothing you can do? Maybe like our family, it's an illness with a loved one or even the death of a loved one or maybe it's just an exhausting job that you cannot seem to move forward in. Maybe it's an extended period of financial struggle where you just don't know how you're going to make ends meet. Maybe it's a relationship with someone that you just are working the hardest to remedy, but it just doesn't want to move. Maybe for you it's just struggling and struggling with the weight of your own sin. When you're up against something that you cannot beat, what do you do? And where do you go? And what hope do you have? See, over this summer, we've been walking through the Psalms as we often do, and we found ourselves this summer in Psalm 70 through 79, and today, like we've just heard, we land in Psalm 76. And as we come to our text today, we're going to see, for in those moments where we feel like we're in an unwinnable fight. We're going to find comfort in God's word today. And at the same time, as God's word often does, we're going to find a challenge that we were met with. The truth of God's word that that forces us to reflect on our own lives. So if you're here today, and maybe you've been through that season where you, you just can't seem to win, Maybe you're in that season right now, maybe you've, maybe you've seen it in the past, or maybe you are dreading seeing it in the future. I want to encourage you today. 
through God's word. Because I believe through God's word we can find both strength for the day and bright hope for tomorrow. And the main thing that we're going to see all throughout this psalm is this. God is victorious. He can and will triumph over everything. No questions asked. So whatever is weighing you down over this summer or beyond, I want you to come today with an open mind and an open heart for God's word because I myself have found a tremendous amount of comfort just through working through this psalm and studying it and preparing for today over the past few weeks. And so, just before we we dive in to God's word, would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we just ask that you would speak. We just ask that you would take us into your word and speak to our hearts and to our minds today. Whether we find ourselves in this place where we have nowhere else to turn or whether we're just seeking for some little hope of encouragement today, I ask that you would guide us. I pray that you'd help us this morning, you'd reveal to us your will through your word. And I thank you that despite whatever we face and whatever we fear, you triumph over it. And so, Father, I pray for our time together this morning that would be a gracious reminder of who you are and how you care for us. And I pray that the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn to Psalm 76, I'd encourage you to do so there. If you have there, you want to turn there, or if you have there and you want to click there on your phone, that's just as, well, not just as good, but that's good as well. There's also Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. And so as you turn there, I'm going to just kind of explain a little bit of the background of this psalm so we have the right mindset going in. So as we'll see very quickly, the psalmist depicts God throughout the entire psalm as this triumphant warrior or warrior over the battle. And ironically, a lot, a lot of different people have tried to link this psalm to one specific event in Israel's history. They've, tried, they've linked it to battles with the Assyrians and over the, their enemies in Israel. But in truth, there's no one situation where we can say, okay, this is where Psalm 76 was written. But things become abundantly clear. We are sure that right before Asaph wrote this psalm, right before the psalmist pens these words, Israel had seen a great battle. And we're sure that Israel knows that God won the day. And that without him, there was no way out. So after seeing the work of God in his life and on the battlefield and in Jerusalem, the psalmist pens these words. I'm going to read through it with us one more time. Psalm 76, verse 1. God is renowned in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. For there he broke the flashing arrows, the shields, the swords, and the weapons of war. You are radiant with light, more majestic than mountains rich with game. The valiant lie plundered. They sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. It is you alone who are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? 
From heaven you pronounced judgment. The land feared and was quiet when you, God, rose up to judge to save all the afflicted of the land. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one who is to be feared. For he breaks the spirit of rulers, and he is feared by the kings of the earth. So throughout this psalm, we see God as the triumphant victor in in many different ways. And in the first half of the song, that's where we're going to find the comfort that we talked about in those times of need. And then in the back half, we're going to be faced with a challenge that we have to wrestle through. But I believe that there is, there's three things that God has for us in this psalm this morning. And the first one is this. God is victorious wherever he moves. In other words, if there's any place that I see God work, I am sure that he wins. God is victorious wherever he moves. Look with me again at the first three verses. God is renowned in Judah. In Israel, his name is great. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields, the swords, and the weapons of war. Verse 1 says that God is renowned in Judah. His name is great in Israel. And when we look back at the Hebrew on, on, on how this psalm was written, that word name, I mean, we have the same thing for it. It's not just name. It's not just that they know the name of God is great. It's the reputation that comes along with the name. Not only do they know God, not only does he have a great name, but they know what he is known for. He has an amazing reputation in Judah because of what he does. And so why why is God known in Judah? For for what he does, but also because it's where he lives. As we move into verse 2, it says his tent is in Salem, his dwelling place is in Zion. If you don't know those two words, Salem and Zion, they're two words for the same thing. There are two words for the city of Jerusalem. It's like when we think of London, it's often called the forest city because it has so many trees. That's what Zion and Salem were to Jerusalem. It's two different words for the same thing. The psalmist says, God is known here because he lives here, because he set his tent up here with his people, because he dwells with the people who are there. And so when I look back and I understand, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily live in Jerusalem. But I understand that when, when we get together, we know that God is here. And so I know that to be continually in relationship with God, to be continually fellowshipping with his people, is to know him. Where God moves, he abides, and he's known. So in the first two verses, we know that in Jerusalem, in Judah, You can't help but know God because he lives there. And then in verse three, it shows why. How do we know, how do I know that God lives and dwells in Jerusalem? How do I know that he lives and dwells with his people? Because that is where he moves. Look at verse three again. For there, in Jerusalem, he broke the flashing arrows, the shield and the sword and the weapons of war. Why does God have a great name in Israel? Why do I know that he abides there? Because I've seen his works there. God is victorious wherever he moves. It's because of the things that had happened in Jerusalem, because they had seen God work, Jerusalem itself had become a monument to the works of God. 
They didn't need a big sign that says, God lives in Jerusalem, because they knew, because that's where God worked, that's where he moved. Because in Jerusalem, they had seen the undeniably good works that God has done. But like I said, I don't live in Jerusalem. I've never been. Would love to go. Haven't been. So what does this mean for me? It means that for me, when I see God work, when I see him break the shields, the swords, the flashing arrows, I need to make it known, just like Jerusalem did. So where are the places in my life that I can point to and I can say, I know that God was there because I saw him work. For me, it's been, it's been coming through this summer. Um, as some of you know, uh, it's, it's been a busy summer for me. It's been, it's been pretty hectic and crazy kind of all over the place. I'm getting married in like a week, which is super busy. Thank you, like two people over here. But, okay, nobody told me this, or like one person told me it, but I didn't believe them. Getting married is a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff that goes in, and if you ask Bethany, I haven't done most of it, but it's still, it's stressful. And so over the past summer, like, I have been working through things that I, I never had to do before. Well, when you get married, you gotta find a place to live, which means you gotta pay rent, which I've never done that before, and living is expensive, and getting married is expensive. And so when we started looking for places around Strathroy to live, I kind of looked and I was like, hmm, are you okay with, like, living with my mom for, like, a few years? Like, <laughs> decades? I don't know. And so, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I had kind of just taken a distance from looking at like apartment rates and everything because I was like, I just, I don't, I can't, I can't afford any of that. And, and right as I had given up and going, I guess we're living with my mom, in one morning, God just kind of came in and handed us a place to live. Like seriously, it was nine o'clock in the morning, I was sitting in the office, and I definitely didn't have a place to live, and by 1.30 that afternoon, not only had I heard of a place to live, but I was talking with the landlord. And it's not because I was like, I got here at nine o'clock and said, okay, now's the day I'm gonna find a place to live. Sitting there in the office, I got a call from my grandfather who said, you gotta call this person, called Pastor Roger and his wife, and they said, you gotta call these people, called them, and they're like, yeah, we have a place for you guys to live, come see it this afternoon. And God just kind of walked in and he said, here you go. I got you. And then right when we got that done, we started looking at, you know, wedding venues, and that is stupid expensive. I walked out of my first meeting, and Bethany looked at me, and she goes, you okay? I was like, yeah, like, well, we can't afford to get married. Um, <laughs> and we were just, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And then continually over the past few months, we have just been blessed over and over by God bringing people into our lives to say, no, I want to help you, and I want to bless you. And it has been amazing to see God work, and he's brought people along the way, not because we went out looking for them. Like, it's kind of weird to say, a lot of it kind of just fell into our lap. But it's undeniable for us that God was there every step of the way, and he was providing all through the planning process. And so when I look back, Am I making the works of God known in my life? Are we doing this as a church, collectively? 
Because I don't know about you, but I want our church, I want Bethel to be able to make statements like this. I want, I want Bethel to be able to look back in a few years and say, yeah, in Bethel, God is known. He, people know God when they come to Bethel. Do you want to know why? Because I know that he abides with his people there. I know that he's there in the lives of the people. How do I know this? Because I've seen him work. I've seen him take a group of people who are dedicated to glorifying God by making disciples who make disciples. I've seen him take those people and I've seen him transform an entire community and I've seen their reach worldwide. I want to look back as a church and say, we know God is here with us because we've seen him work. Am I looking back at the works of God and the things that he does and am I making it known? Because we need to make it known. Because the pushback for you and I is after he's done working to forget. After he has done something amazing, we tend to forget. And then when we're faced with that insurmountable obstacle, we forget that God's done a work in my life before. I, I know that he's with me because I've seen him work. And the tendency is to think, if I know that God can triumph and that he's victorious and he wins wherever he moves, but I'm not seeing that right now. Does that mean he can't reach where I am? No. Not in the slightest. Because remember, if we think back to Psalm 76, Israel still had to see the battle. And so some of you are still walking through the battle. You're still walking through something that you just can't seem to see a way out of. And it's in those times we need to remind ourselves of the works of God before. Because the challenge becomes if I can remind myself of the works of God, can I then trust that even in the battle, he is still working? Because there is no place in your life that God can't reach. If you're struggling with your relationships with people and you just can't seem to let go of a bitterness or anger, he can work there. If you're struggling with your finances and, and, and you just don't know how you're going to make ends meet. He can work there. If you're sitting there and you feel like your life is going nowhere and there's just no way to win, he can work there. If you're faced with sickness or illness, he can work there. God is victorious wherever he moves. And so we need to remind ourselves of the works of God wherever he works. But that's not the only thing that this psalm tells us. That's not the only way it encourages us. Not only does it tell us that there is no area of our lives beyond God's reach, there is no obstacle beyond his power. Because the second thing that the psalmist tells us is this, God is victorious over whatever may come. Look at me again at verses four through six. You are radiant with light, 
more majestic than the mountains rich with game. The valiant lie plundered. They sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. God is victorious over whatever may come. In verse four, the psalmist gives us this, this picture of God. The translation I just said, it, it reads, radiant with light. In other translations, it'll say things like resplendent with light, beaming and glowing with light. Some translations will just say, you are glorious. So the psalmist sees God as this amazing victor over the battlefield. And then he doubles down on this in the next couple verses where it says, more majestic than the mountains rich with game. A literal translation of the Hebrew would say, majestic out of the mountains rich with game. So the psalmist is not just saying, you're majestic like a mountain over there. What he's doing is he's painting this picture for his hearers as God, as this majestic lion coming back from the hunt. So when, God, when the psalmist sees God and he sees the things that they face, he doesn't even see it as a battle between two opposing armies. He sees it as a predator hunting prey because there's nothing that can stand against the power of God. I'm not sure if you've ever seen lions hunt down anything. Like, definitely, if you've seen it with your own eyes, you need to be running away as fast as you can. I'm more talking like if you've seen it in a video. When I was young, my dad had this movie that we would watch like once a year. I don't know why he loved it so much, but it was just called Earth. It was Disney nature. They did this documentary on a bunch of different animals that did a bunch of different stuff. And I was pretty bored because I was like eight. But I remember this one sequence in this documentary where they follow this pack of lions. And when you hear about lions, you're like, oh yeah, they eat like antelope or cantaloupe or whatever is in the plains of Africa, because I was eight. Um, but this sequence, it follows this pack of lions, and in the night, they take down an elephant. Not like an antelope, like an elephant, like a big, strong, tusks, leathery skin elephant, and they make it look easy. Like, I'm sure it took more time than the documentary showed, but it was like two minutes, one and done. And so that's how the psalmist sees God. He doesn't see him as someone who has to put up a hard and valiant fight against his foes. He sees him as someone who comes in like a roaring lion and takes out whatever stands against him. No matter the obstacle, he sees God prevailing. And verse 5 and 6 seek to just hammer that point home again. Verse 5 says, The valiant lie plundered. They sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift his hands. Verse 6, At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. The enemies of God, they're spent. Brought down to nothing. No one can stand against him. And so, again, similarly to, similarly to verse 2, these two verses are saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's saying, okay, look at the people who stand against God, the valiant, the stout-hearted, the courageous. They're brought down to nothing. The warriors, the men who have dedicated their entire lives to fighting for their cause, not even one of them can lift their hands. 
You wanna talk about weapons of war, the horse and the chariot, something I could never overcome. Both of them, at the words of God, lie still. There's this repeated theme of, yeah, I know they're mighty, but they're spent. Yeah, I, I know they're strong, but they're brought down to nothing. And so for us, we find comfort in knowing that whatever we face, our God is bigger. And he is victorious over whatever may come. Do you and I believe this? Do we, do we really believe that God can overcome anything that we face? Because again, it is all too easy to forget. When I am faced with something that I cannot overcome, what is my response? For some of us, our response is to just freeze up and, and just not move, just be absolutely paralyzed with fear. And for some of us, it's to do the exact opposite. It's to say, okay, no matter what's coming, I'm gonna hike up my bootstraps and I'm just gonna muscle my way through this as much as I can. But do we stop and do we bring it to God? And do we say, I can't do this, but I know that you can. Amen. Nathan Palmatier, one of our next-gen director here, he will often tell our youth, and he will often tell me that when I'm faced with something and I don't bring it to God, what I'm telling him is, I don't need you. I got this. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm saying I don't need God. So in the first half of Psalm 76, we're, we're faced with this comfort that, okay, God is victorious wherever he moves. And he can triumph over whatever may come. Now what if I don't see it? Because you and I know that in this broken world, those are all too hard to believe. But that doesn't make it any less true. As many of you know, summer 2019, our lives changed forever when my dad got diagnosed with cancer. A year later, less than a year later, February 2020, he lost that fight. My dad passed away February 2020, came home from school, whole nine yards. But not even a week later, I was talking with my mom, we're planning funerals, we're you know, looking at visitation stuff, planning speeches, and she said to me, your dad is better now than he has ever been before. Because you see, it's not looking forward that we trust that God is victorious. It's not even looking around that we see it. It's the fact that we understand that he already is. Because I don't know what you're facing. And I don't know what you will face. But I can tell you this with absolute certainty. Whatever it is, and whenever it comes, God has already defeated something much, much bigger. 
Because when Christ Jesus entered this world hundreds of years after this psalm was written, he came and he lived a perfect life. Because the reality is, my biggest challenge is not that I'm stuck in a job I can't move in. My biggest challenge, even though it feels like it, is not that I can't make ends meet. My biggest challenge is not even an illness or an ailment that befalls me. My biggest challenge and my biggest fight that I cannot win is that God made something perfect and I fell short. That's my biggest challenge. My biggest challenge is that I now owe a debt I cannot pay and my sin has a grip on me that I can never break. And death has a hold that I cannot escape. But when Jesus came into this world and he lived the perfect sinless life, and then he went to die on a cross that you and I deserved, what happened there was yes, 100%. He paid the penalty that I could not pay. And he took my sin and my shame and your sin and your shame upon himself. He did all of those things, but also he won the victory I could never, ever achieve. He triumphed over sin, Satan, and death so that I can say with absolute certainty that whatever comes, my God is bigger, my God is better, and he will win because he already has. And so the second half of this psalm, we're forced to confront that because we have seen that God can and will and has triumphed wherever he moves and over whatever may come. But now I see this. God is victorious. Not will be, not I hope, he already is. And I need to respond. When I understand the works of God, both in my life and over the obstacles I see, and throughout eternity and over the obstacles I could never hope to defeat, I have no choice but to respond. So read the second half of this psalm with me again. It is you alone who are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you pronounced judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, O God, rose up to judge, to save the afflicted of the land. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one who is to be feared. For he breaks the spirit of rulers, and he is feared by the kings of the earth." God is victorious, and we need to respond. See, the psalmist emphasizes that it is God alone to be feared rather than anything else. I don't want to fear swords or flashing arrows. I don't want to fear my finances. I don't want to fear sin. I don't want to fear sickness. I don't even want to fear death. I want to fear the Lord because all of it pales in comparison. And the psalmist realizes that if God is above all victorious, we have to respond because he looks around and see, sees all of creation responding to the work of God already. Look again in verse eight. From heaven you pronounce judgment and the land itself feared and stood quiet. Even the earth itself responds to the rule of God. All of creation bows before the king of heaven and earth. And so as he judges and rules above all creation, we have to do the same. 
Verse 9, when you, O God, rose up to judge to save all of the afflicted of the land. And, and this, this verse is how I know that God cares for you and I. Because oftentimes when we think of God's judgment and his rule, get a little tense. We often treat God as a hunter sitting in a blind with his brand new wrath rifle just waiting for me to mess up so he can blast me with judgment, but that's not the case. We see here that when God rises to judge, he does so to save the afflicted. The weight, the burden, the trial that is not beyond the reach of God. He has not forgotten you there. And when he rises to judge, he does so to save those in need. Verse 10 adds to this idea that when God judges, it's a good thing because his judgment is right. So read again verse 10. Surely your wrath against mankind brings you praise and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Again, this is just an... a baffling reflection on the judgment of God and the wrath of God. Because how often do I sit there and praise him for his judgment upon the earth? How often do I come and worship him for the works that he's done? Because again, my, my tendency is to back away and tense up. But when we really think about it, of course God's judgment and his victory should cause us to praise. Sit back and think of the darkest, grittiest battle in your favorite movie or book, okay? One of my favorite movies, movie series really, I can't watch one without watching them all, is The Lord of the Rings. It's like the best. And if you're one of the people who's like, the book is way better, you can tell me that after, but just bear with me for two seconds. And one of my favorite, favorite scenes in this movie in the second movie. I could probably tell you the minute it starts, but I'm not going to because that makes me way too weird. It's called The Battle of Helm's Deep. It's fantastic. I would literally watch the entire series just to see this one scene. But it sees the good guys ready to fight, but in a completely unwinnable situation. There's a line in the movie that's not in English, and I don't know how to say it, so I'm just going to say it in English. But it's 300 versus 10,000 warriors on the other side but they know that all they have to do is last out the night. And they're going, and you know, they, they, lose, the first, they lose their first post, so they, they pull back more. They lose their second post, so they pull back more. And then all hope seems lost. They're at their last bastion of defense, and they're fighting, you know, what do we do? Do we ride out? Do we stay here? Do we tell people to flee? What are we doing? And one of the characters just sits there and he goes, the sun is rising. And it's fantastic. And you look, and of course you see the sun climbing over the hills. And the camera switches, and then you see all of the allies of these good guys standing atop the hill, ready to come in and rescue their countrymen. And as you see them soar down the hill, of course all the lighting changes, the music builds, and you're just like sitting there like, they made it! And you just can't help but well up with a feeling of happiness and relief. I mean, if you're a movie person, if you don't care about movies, then you won't move at all. But you can't help but feel this overwhelming sense of relief and joy. Thank goodness justice won the day. 
That's how we look at the rule and the reign and the justice of God. Because like we said, what we face was so much more than we could ever bear. And so when we look at God and we see him triumph over sin, over Satan and death itself, we cannot help but say, thank God you won the day. And so when God acts and we see him triumph, we praise him. And I'm not pretending it's easy. And I'm not pretending it's going to happen the easiest way every time. Sometimes it's at your very last minute. But God will win. So am I praising him for his triumph? Am I praising him for his victory? How should I be responding? If I understand that God is victorious and I can't help but respond, how do I do that? And there's verse 11 prompts us very clearly. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one who is to be feared. This is the challenge that we're faced with. This is the question you and I have to wrestle through when we come to Psalm 76. We have a choice because God can be victorious for us or he can be victorious over us. We can make our vows to the Lord come before him humbly and say, here's my life, here's what I got, and I want to follow you or we can choose not to. In verse 12, it says, he breaks the spirit of rulers and he is feared by the kings of the earth. The rulers and the kings of the day were the mightiest people on the planet. They had the most power, they had the most weapons, they had the most men willing to die at their every word, and yet God cuts them down and causes them to fear him. And so in verse seven where it says, you alone are to be feared, we're faced with this choice. We can fear him now, or we can fear him later. But there's a difference. When we decide, I want to come before, and I want to fear the Lord, it's not an overwhelming sense of dread. It's not that we're scared he's going to smite us. When the Bible talks about fearing the Lord, it talks about coming before him with a humble and contrite heart and having an accurate and humble picture of who he really is. I had a buddy at school who was honestly a little bit of an odd guy, but he had a sweater that was completely blank and it just had four words on it. It was great. It was, I fear God, homie. It was awesome. He wore it everywhere. And I asked him why. I said, like, Kai, why do you wear that everywhere? And he said, because I want people to know that wherever I go, the only thing I'm going to fear is God. Because to fear God isn't to have that sense of dread. It's a healthy acknowledgement of who he is and what he does. And what he does is triumph. And so we've seen all day that God is victorious. And he's going to be victorious wherever he moves. And he's going to be victorious over whatever comes. But when we come to him and we understand who he is, we trust in the work of Jesus for us. We have to respond to his work.
So before we leave, I want to give you that chance to respond. As the team uh, comes up and begins to play, just take a moment and ponder what we've seen in God's word today. If God is truly victorious wherever he moves, am I making his works known? And do I trust that he is still with me? And if God is victorious over whatever may come, do I trust he can overcome my fears? And for all of us today, we need to ponder this question. If God is victorious and he will triumph, how will I respond? Have I made my vows to the Lord? Have I come before him with a humble submission and said, here is my life and I want to live for you? And if you've never made that decision to follow Christ, to come before God and humbly say, here's what I have and I want to give it to you, I would encourage you and I would plead with you to do that today. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've made that decision, you've been living life alongside him for any length of time, ask yourself, am I fulfilling the vows I made to God? Am I consistently bringing my life to him? Am I living in such a way that I said I would live? Am I bringing my fears, my insecurities, my praise, am I bringing it all to him?